All right, let's get into God's word. Um, got in my hands my wife's set of keys here. Uh, I, today's message is really going to center around keys. Now, traditionally, obviously, these were what you might call traditional keys uh, made out of metal, and they have grooves in them specific and unique to a lock. And keys, that's what keys do. They unlock. Uh, they open the way for you. Uh, they provide access to you. For, for instance, the keys to your home, uh, keys to your car, etc. And today, obviously, keys have really gone through an evolution. Not only do we have what we might call traditional keys, but they come in so many different forms. Today, we have keys that come in the form of passwords where you can't access something without a password or, or a specific code. Uh, we have fingerprints, right, where you can put a fingerprint in maybe on your phone or something uh, and that gives you access to your phone and opens it up for you. So we have all of these different keys today that we want to look at. And keys really serve such an important function. I mean, think about it. We, we take these for granted, but can you imagine if we never had keys? Can you imagine there was no keys to your home? People can come and go. You wake up one morning and you got somebody sitting at, at your table, help themselves to your food and everything because they have access, no keys. Or you wake up and you go to work, but you can't go to work because somebody decided, I like your car. And they just got in your car and they can turn it on without a key. Or God forbid, you look into your bank account and everything is gone because everyone has access to all of our monies, all of our information. So keys really are critical. They're important to, uh, to help us to function correctly and to, and to guard the, our, our lifestyle in so many different ways. Why am I focusing about keys? Well, because there's so often, as I said before, many times, the things that we see in the natural are mirrored in the spiritual. And there are keys that determine the well-being of our spiritual life. We come to chapter 16 in our journey through John, and I just want to read one verse to kind of launch us off here, and that's John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Would you just agree with me as I pray? Gracious Father, I come before you this morning, and I thank you for the word that you've given to me, that you put in my heart. I come before you now in deep humility. Lord, I desperately need the empowerment of your spirit to be able to communicate clearly what the word is that you have placed in my heart. Help me right now, Lord. And I pray, as always, that you would help all of us by giving us an ear to hear what your spirit has to say to us. May your word accomplish everything 
that you set it out to do today, Father, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, okay. Now, for the benefit of those who may not be with us for the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been having uh, this long discourse with his followers, his disciples. And he's come to the place where he knows that pretty soon he's going to be arrested. And he's going to be uh, then crucified, and he will die, be, and then be raised from the dead on the third day. So he tells his disciples, I'm about to go, and where I'm going, you cannot follow. And that grieved the disciples. They didn't understand what was going on. They couldn't understand why the Messiah whom they've been enjoying his presence for three years, they couldn't fathom why all of a sudden he would decide to leave them and then tell them that where he was going, they couldn't follow him. Uh, and so he's having this dialogue with them and, and, uh, and having in this, in this conversation now, uh, we saw this past Wednesday that he told them, it's good for me to go because if I go, then I can send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter to you. Because if I don't go, then he won't come. And so we, this past Wednesday, we saw how there are times in our life where in order to receive, we have to let go. The, the, the disciples had to let the Lord go so that they could receive the Holy Spirit who would then be in them. And so he, in this conversation now, he comes to the point where now he's telling them suddenly, oh, by the way, in this world, you are going to experience many trials and sorrows. Not just a few, you're going to experience many trials and sorrow. But he said, you, you need to take heart, don't be discouraged, because I have overcome the world. And so to really understand and grasp all of this, we need to first define uh, what the overcome means. What was the Lord talking about when he told the disciples, his followers, I've overcome the world? Well, this word overcome means to conquer, uh, to, to be victorious, to prevail. And so we look at the Lord, uh, and by the way, the world there also symbolizes the trials and difficulties that are in this life, uh, the temptations that we could all face. That's all summed up in what when Jesus was talking about, I have overcome the world. So what he's talking about is, I've overcome all the temptations that have come to me. I've been victorious over them. And knowing what was about to take place, knowing that he was about to be arrested, beaten, crucified, Knowing all of that, yet he overcame the fear of, of, of not going down the path that he knew was the Father's will for his life, and he was prepared to go on that journey. So Jesus Christ was telling his followers, I've been victorious. I have overcome both temptations and trial, and because I have overcome the world, you can overcome the world. So now, before I get into the keys that I want to talk about, I just want to bring two quick thoughts from what we have, this one verse of scripture. Uh, I want to begin with this thing of, in this world, Jesus said, you're going to have many trials and sorrow. Because as Christians, 
as those who follow Jesus Christ, who've embraced him as, as Savior, we are not exempt from trials and sorrow. And I, I think that's so important that we kind of remind ourselves of that because somehow, some way, uh, and uh, uh, admittedly, there's some erroneous teaching out in Christianity that when we embrace Christ as our Savior, man, God has a plan for our life. It's a beautiful plan. It's a plan not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us a future, that God is our protector, that God will watch over us and keep us. And we like to highlight all of these things, and they are in the Word of God and true. But to us, we equate all of that to mean when I give my heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to live in Eden. God's going to create an Eden for me where I will not know any sickness. But you see, that's unbiblical. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have Many trials, many sorrows. Like everyone else in the world, every believer in Christ, we deal with and experience economic hardships. Yes, Christians can lose their jobs and not find one. Especially now in this pandemic. You can find God's people who love Jesus, who are living right for him. You can still find them in a difficult place economically. Yes, Christians do get sick and sometimes die. We experience the sorrow of losing a loved one. We're not exempt from trials and sorrow until our redemption draws near meaning the return of Jesus Christ until that day comes in this world we will have we will experience trials and sorrow in fact some of us will experience trials, and sorrow because we're a Christian. Look at, remember the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Jesus said, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and say it with me. See, you don't even want to say it, but say, say it again loud, killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Why is it that Christians think that people are supposed to love us? Why is it that we have this complex that we go through? I don't understand why they hate me. Jesus said they would hate us. We're not supposed to expect the world to love us. We bring the light into their darkness. And because we bring in the light into their darkness and they don't want their sins exposed, the world hates us. And there are times and places all over this world where it, Christians are losing their lives because of their testimony. So it's important that we realize that in this world, we are going to experience trials and sorrow. But then Jesus said this, 
Because I overcome, you will overcome the world. So the question comes to me, or came to me, what does it mean for a Christian to overcome the world? What does it mean for you to overcome the world? What does it mean for those of you watching on, through the internet, however it means you're watching, what does it mean for you as a believer in Jesus Christ to overcome the world? So I gave, came up with a definition that I feel was appropriate. Overcoming the world means this. When trials and sorrow do not negatively impact our soul. In other words, when these trials that Jesus said was going to happen, when these sorrows affect us or come hit us, I should say, and come into our life or our loved one's life, when that happens, they don't negatively impact our soul. My physical circumstance, listen, if I am sick, my physical circumstance may never change. In fact, it might get worse. But it is still well with my soul. That's overcoming. There's an old hymn in the church. It is well with my soul. It was written by a man, Christian Horatio Spafford. S-P-A-F-F-O-R-D. He wrote that hymn after three things happened to him. The first thing, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. The second thing happened after, right after that, he lost everything. He was financially ruined in the Chicago fire. He lived in Chicago. And so he, he came to financial ruin because of the fire. And the third thing, he had convinced his wife uh, they were going to vacation in Europe. He had still business to take care of. So he convinced his wife to get aboard a ship to Europe with his four daughters. While they journeyed there, they collided with another ship. That The ship that his family was on sank and his four daughters died. His wife survived, but he lost four daughters. And when he got the news, he traveled on ship. And when he got to the place where the, and the captain came, he said, this is the area right here where the ship went down, where you lost your four children. And in that moment, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he penned this hymn. It is well with my soul. You see, Overcomers, they don't worship God because he creates an Eden for them to live in. Overcomers worship God because of who he is, not what he provides for them. They don't allow trials and sorrow to short-circuit their praise and their worship. It's important that we realize today that God has promises that are reserved only for overcomers. 
In fact, when you go home, we don't have time to look at them today, but go home, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, you will find there seven letters to seven different churches. And they all had their issues and things that God had to deal with them in their life. But God ended each letter to each church with a promise, and the promise was reserved for he who overcomes. He who is victorious. He who, who, in spite of all the situation, stays steadfast and doesn't allow trials or sorrow to have a negative impact on their soul. Now, because it's so crucial for all of us to, to overcome, now I want to lay out for you three keys to overcoming. Three thoughts that came to my heart uh, that we need to look at that will help us to be overcomers. Here's the first key. The first key is our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, to some of us, that might sound simple. But listen, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Come on, say, even our, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? This is the victory that helps us to overcome the world even our faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Now, I understand that some may think, well, I've already embraced Christ as my Savior. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, I did that a while back. But this is far more than just that moment when you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see, overcoming means that when I, I'm, I'm dealing with my trial, when I'm, I'm impacted I, and I have this sorrow and, and someone that I love has passed on or whatever the case might be, my marriage has ended, or whatever you name it, something that has caused you a trial or a sorrow, when that happens... I need to make sure that it doesn't cause my faith in Jesus to waver. You see, overcomers don't allow trials and sorrow to cause their faith in who Jesus is to waver. What am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ doesn't cease to be the son of God because I'm sick and still not healed. He's still the son of God. Jesus Christ is still the Son of God, even though I find myself in a financial crisis. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. I don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus Christ is still the Son of God. That's overcoming. Overcoming is my marriage is a wreck. My family is in turmoil, but Jesus Christ is still Lord. That's overcoming. We fail to overcome when all of a sudden the trial comes, the suffering takes place, the sorrow is there, and now we question, is he really God? Because I thought if Jesus was Lord that this wouldn't happen. 
That's why Jesus said, and I want you to know, in this world, you're going to have many, not just a few. You're going to have many trials. You're going to have many sorrows. But I've overcome the world, and so can you. Overcoming means I'm not going to allow my trials, my sorrow, to have a negative impact on my faith in Jesus Christ and who he is. So that's the first key. And keys to overcoming, number one, is our faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the second key. Our resolute understanding of God's love. Our resolute, and that word resolute means fixed, unwavering. Our unwavering understanding of God's love. Let me read to you from the book of Romans in chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, say amen with me on that. Okay. Overwhelming victory is ours. Overcoming, in other words, is ours. When? When we don't allow trials and sorrow to question God's love. Well, God, I thought you loved me. Why did this happen, God? I thought, I, I, don't you love me, God? We get like spoiled children. If you love me, you wouldn't let this trial come in. If you love me, you wouldn't let this happen. The apostle Paul said, nothing. It doesn't matter what you go through in this life. It doesn't matter the trials. It doesn't matter the sorrows. Even death, Paul said, even that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Nothing that can happen in this life should ever lead us to question the love that God has for us. Even though you might be in the midst of a severe trial, don't question the love that God has for you. It is an everlasting love because no trial, no sorrow can ever separate you and I from the love that God has for us. It's an everlasting love. Keys to overcoming. What's our first key? Come on, say it with our faith in Jesus Christ. And what's our second key? 
our resolute understanding of God's love. Here's our third key. And it's our testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And what else? Come on, finish it. And the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. They overcame him. The him there is Satan, who is the ruler of this world. To overcome the world, we also need to overcome Satan. And know they overcame him, the prince of, of darkness. They overcame him. They overcame the world because of their testimony. Now, let's clarify what testimony means. Testimony, simply put, is what you and I declare with our mouth and with our life. That's a testimony. What we declare with our mouth and with our life, how we live. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne and he was so full of himself that he made an idol. He had an idol made in his image. And he made everybody bow down to this image. Whoever refused to bow down was to be killed. Three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, refused to bow down. The king was told, and he brought them before him. Listen to the words, Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the king and say, I'm going to give you one more shot. Bow down. If you bow down, good. If you don't, you're going to be a dead man. All three of you. And they say, oh, wait, 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 time out, king. We can't do that, king. First of all, our God can deliver us and will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if it costs our life, we will not bow down and worship. We will serve only the Lord and the Lord alone. Now, I find it interesting that in contrast, Jesus had told his disciples in our, this big conversation they had, he said, you're all going to abandon me. All the disciples testified, we will never abandon you. We will never leave your side. And of course, we know that when the soldiers came into the garden and arrested Jesus, they all fled, you see. See, overcoming means that our testimony has to be validated. It has to stand up in the trial and in the sorrow. It's one thing to tell Satan and declare publicly, I serve Jesus Christ. I will never bow down when everything is fine. It's easy to say Jesus Christ is Lord. Then... 
Our praise flows very easily when we're being blessed, if you will. Anybody can testify to the goodness of God in times of blessing. But can you testify that God is good when a loved one dies? Can we testify that God is good during this pandemic where all hell is breaking loose all around us? And it's impacting us. Can we still say God is good when we lose our job and we can't find one? And the landlord is knocking on the door saying, where's my rent? You see, what I'm getting at, brothers and sisters, is our testimony has to be validated in the trial and in the sorrow. That's when you are an overcomer. When your spirit still says, it is well with my soul. Though I'm experiencing difficulties in this life, though this is happening and I don't see how it's going to turn out for the good, yet he's still Lord. I'm not going to change that based on my physical surroundings or circumstances. I'm not going to allow my faith to waver because God hasn't responded the way I thought he was going to respond. No. He's still God. He's still my king. And I will not bow down to make my life easier. You see, we live in such a time where as a Christian, if you want to live an easier life, a life with less hassle, all you got to do is bend the knee. Worship the other idols. Do what everybody else is doing, in other words. If you can do that, nobody will hassle you. Nobody will call you a radical. Nobody will call you crazy. Nobody will come at you. Your boss will like you then. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. When I was in the business world many years ago, I got hassled simply because I was a Christian. And he said, well, well, wasn't God with you? Yes, God was right with me while they were hassling me. And God allowed it to happen. Because Jesus said, in this life, you are going to experience trouble, trials, hardship, sorrow. It's part of the package. And if you don't want to do that, all you got to do is bend the knee. You bend the knee. Do what everybody else is doing, and boy, you'll fit right into the crowd. But you will never be an overcomer. To be an overcomer means you are able to stand up and prevail, be victorious in spite of the things that are going on around you. Pastor Jason, if you would come back, please. In this world, we will have trials and sorrow. I wish it wasn't that way. But the truth of the matter is, Christians do experience that. It is not a matter of a lack of faith. Please, guard your heart against judging another brother or another sister. Don't judge them and think that, well, they don't have enough faith. That's why they're going through that. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
You can be a man of God who is walking in the very center of God's will. You can be a woman that loves Jesus with all your heart and living a life of obedience. You're still going to experience trials and sorrow. Stand with me, would you please? Because Jesus overcame the world, you and I can overcome the world today. And the keys to overcoming that we want to, that the keys that unlock that, that passageway to overcoming are faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He is the Son of the living God, no matter what transpires in our life. That holy resolve, I will not allow my physical circumstance to ever cause me to question God's love for me. And I will testify, but not just with my words, but with my lifestyle, that Jesus Christ is Lord. I never bow down. I never want to go with the crowd. I never want to do anything to try to make this life easier. I, I want to stand up for Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. That's the life of overcoming.